I'm Tony Gargan and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. Today I am interviewing the man, the myth, the legend that is Mr. David Siegler. So firstly, huge thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, participate in this Zoom slash podcast interview. So for those people who don't know Mr. Siegler, I'm sure they're few and far between within my uh, podcast listening capacity, but who uh, are you? What is it you do? Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Siegler. Tony, thank you so much for the invitation to be on your podcast. This is kind of weird. I'm, I'm on the other end. I'm usually interviewing people and, um, you know, I just set the thing in motion and they talk. But I'm on the other end now, so you've set the thing in motion and I've got to talk. Um, who am I? Okay. Well, where do I start? I think I am best known today as being a property person, probably. Uh, so I am positioned as a deal packager. I am the don of deal packaging. <laughs> Um, and that's because in later years, uh, I am a property person. Did my first deal, Tony, my very first deal uh, in 1977. Yeah, so it was the Queen's Silver Jubilee. And I was at university, you know what students are like. So we organised uh, to celebrate a Guinness and Pickles party so that we could, <laughs> we could put together our own tribute to Her Majesty, God bless her, a 21 bum salute, which is what we managed by the end of the evening. <laughs> very windy occasion but um, the majesty and i we've aged gracefully together and um so i did my first deal in 1977 which was a commercial deal who'd have thought i didn't realize at the time because i was basically a retailer i went into retailing early doors and um through the years focused on my retailing and we incrementally picked up some of the freeholds of the premises that we were trading from, but not all, I'm gonna give the wrong impression. So we got up to 20 retail units at one point, and some of those we managed to get the freeholds off. And I didn't really understand why I was doing it. I knew it was a good thing, Tony, but I was not educated in property at that time. I was all about retailing. So I knew it was a good thing because five, six years go by, and it kind of transforms your balance sheet. You know, it makes the company more valuable. So I knew it was a good thing to do. But here's how little I knew about it at the time. I left, we had, uh, generally, if you have shop premises on a high street, they've got rooms above. Yep. You've got offices above. And I left those offices empty for 20 years. I did not know that. Yeah, it's true. Um, so the one, the building we acquired in 1977, they had offices, three stories of offices above. And I used them for just leaving stuff in. And, you know, I didn't go up there for years on end. Occasionally, we get a rain leak wandering down to the ground floor, right? And it just, it was just deteriorating. So it was only in 1997 that for some reason somebody prompted me. And I converted that build, those upper parts into flats. That was the first one I did. And then I did the other buildings as well. Wow. So, yeah, I know. So that was how little I knew about it. Because I was all about retailing. I was all about, you know, the next big thing and all that sort of thing. So, so jumping on that then, given that the podcast is all around presenting, pitching, public speaking, and for those of you who don't know David Siegler, 
he is an expert in all three. And I think it's really interesting that we get the background to that because as you say, many people now know you as, you know, the deal package and extraordinary, standing on a stage, delivering trainings for progressive property and progressive success, delivering webinars and training people what you've done one-on-one through to big group, huge groups of hundreds of people. But obviously now knowing a bit of a background, that's not what you've always done. And I want to jump on the fact that you say you're from a retail background. So in your, you've always done sales in terms of the the businesses that you've run. And I know you've run multiple businesses during your very short life so far. Um, But how important do you think sales and the ability to sell yourself, your product, your service, how important is that in any business or life? I think it's the most important thing. Right, and and I learned it informally for many many years. So uh, obviously, being in retail, I'm in sales, right? Because if you're on the shop floor, you're in sales. Yeah. Um, and also working with staff, and we got up to seventy staff at one point. They weren't all full time, uh, but this was before computers, Tony. And you know, it was hard to manage twenty shops yeah. with a geographical spread in those days. Yeah. Um, and and make sure that all the messages got across. You know, on Monday morning was figures day, right? So I had to, I was ringing around the shops to get the figures for the previous weekend, right? Trading. We never opened on Sundays in those days. It was just Saturday. Uh, it took me till lunchtime to get through to all of the shops, you know, work out which ones were open. And if they weren't open, and there was three hours drive away, maybe in Plymouth or something like that, what was I going to do about it anyway? So, um, Here's another really important point. I was on my own, right? Now, I could not go to people in retail and say, how do you you manage this? What systems do I need? What processes? Mm. I have bits of paper everywhere, right? (laughs) Back of envelope stuff. And even ordering for the units was just, it was how I felt, how to feel, you know, sizes and stuff like that from what I saw. So uh, going back to the selling bit, yeah, selling was absolutely key. I did it, spent a lot of time on the shop floor as well. Um, And it was about, it was one-to-one. It's very different to selling on stage, but it was about assessing the type of person you're looking for. So it's an an initial impression when they walk in, what do you think? this person's going to want to buy, right? I've already got an image in my head. And then we open discussions, right? Some people don't want to talk. <laughs> I mean, I never, well, it's true. I never ever did, you know, can I help you? I never did all that retail stuff, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, you have to go and open communication. Some people just resist it. They don't want to talk to you at all in that environment. Some people will tell you what they want, what they're looking for and what the issues are and stuff like that. So it's about weighing up who you're talking to yeah. uh, and adjusting your approach for the type of person that you're talking to. So I would speak very differently to you if you came into the shop than I would to Chris, your husband, if he came in the shop on time, right? Because you're different people, Okay. Um, so that was sort of involuntary. I just soaked that up. I mean, nobody taught me that. And then dealing with suppliers on the phone, you're still selling, right? You're still trying to get the best gear at the right time, right? So that's a different uh, process. It's sales again. I didn't realize that. And then I'd have to ring the bank manager about my overdraft because I was nudging my overdraft limit, right? That's, a, that's selling, right? Because he's got to be comfortable that we're trustworthy and 
you know, thank heavens I'd bought one or two retail units, the freeholds by then, because we got security, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm selling there. And then I've got to ring the Batman because I can't afford to pay my back this month, right? And then we're selling again. And this, this is a different sort of selling because this is very, because at the other end, they're very, um, you know, pushing you away and very matter of fact. And they're trying to resist any relationship building on the telephone, you know. So all of this was selling. I didn't realise, or maybe I did, but I didn't realise, I didn't verbalise the fact that I knew that this was selling. Mm. And then eventually the retail business failed. I'm a failed retailer, Tony. It took about 30 years, right? There was some financial unpleasantness, you're too young to remember, in 1992 where we were forcibly... Uh, expelled from the ERM, I think it was at the time, oh. it, the precursor to the Euro. Yeah. We were we were shadowing the Deutsche Mark at three Deutsche Marks, 30 to the pound, unsustainable. Right? And we came out of there and there was a recession and we lost the business. But I retained the properties which were held in a different um, corporate. I was clever enough to do that or lucky enough or I got advice, you know, I kept the property separate from the trading company. So the trading company went, and then I went into my black period uh, where I sort of looked for something to do for a while. And I went selling, right? I went and sold life insurance. Um, I sold pensions. If you can sell a pension, you can sell anything, really. What kind what, of selling? In what format did you do this selling? Okay, so one of my pals was working at the time. Shall I name them? Yeah, I'll name them. He was working for Norwich Union Private Clients Division. Oh, Sounds pretty cool, yeah. We're still in insurance, yeah. Um, and I went and got an interview, and basically it was before the FCA. It was before, I think, Loutro was the um, governing body at the time. Who? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm confused face. I, I know. You, that's why I mention it, because you look confused. I mean, this is, what, 92, 93, 94. It's very start of um, regulation in that industry. Right. And I got in sort of at the time it all started. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I went to Norwich Union. I started selling their products on the phone. I sold a lot of products. I got a tap on the shoulder one day, and they said, would you come and join the private clients division. And that was really financial planning for clients. It was about, um, it wasn't inheritance tax even at that time, it was CCT, whatever that stood for, it'll come to me in a minute. But it was death duties, right? Um, it was school fee planning. Um, and again, it was one-to-one -one sitting in people's homes. But the, the, the power of selling, of painting pictures, what I did, was paint pictures, right? So I, I recall um, we got supervised visits, so my manager came out with me, and I never minded that. I sort of played up to that. It made me better. All my colleagues said, oh, no, I don't want my manager to come. Yeah. But it actually gave me a chance to show off. Um, so I remember, I remember a couple of episodes in particular. Uh, there was one where he was very impressed because we were with a youngish couple, quite well-to-do, um, you know, up in the Crawley area, and they had two little kids. And I'm just going through the process of what they had some planning in, in place, but if, God forbid, something happened to him, she was going to be in some difficulties. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember this 
we had a conversation about what she could do and what she couldn't do and where the gaps were. And the bottom line was, Tony, they owned a VHS video recorder in those days. Oh, state of the art in those days. I've got, I've got that fan. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so they owned it with all the, I don't know, Postman Pat videos and stuff like that for the kids, right? But they rented the TV from Radio Rentals. Oh, oh yeah. God. Yeah, you could rent TVs in those days. You could. Right. They put a pound in it. I recall that. No, no, no. no they, paid, they paid Radio Rentals at a high street shop. Who did they become? Did they become... They didn't become Argos or someone like that. Did they? they became somebody else. But Radio Rentals... My mum rented a whole lot from radio rentals and every two years you'd go and get new ones because if you rent it you could go and get it. it's a bit like cars you know or sales more upgrades yeah that was a part of the pitch right so anyway i'm sitting in that with these young youngish couple and their kids so and i'm clarifying they only the bhs and um they rent the tv and he's gone and she's short of money so what you're telling me mr and mrs client right i just want to understand this yeah if, if god forbid Mr. Client goes out and the piano falls on him tomorrow. It's gone. (laughs) Then the situation here is the kids that can put their favourite video in the VHS machine and they can listen to it going round and round, but they can't see or hear anything on the telly because the telly's gone. Um, So it's about benefits. It's about features and benefits. It's about selling, if we're talking about selling. To me, it's about relationships. It's about... Finding a problem and giving them a solution to the problem. Um, and I didn't really have formal training. I had a little bit of formal training at Norwich Union. Uh, but a lot of it came from my retail background. Yeah. And I've had more formal training on speaking and selling in the last five, six years than ever, the, the previous 60, right? Is this helpful? Is this what you're asking? Absolutely. So I'm going to pick up on some of the things that you've said because obviously we've been through the same trainings we talked about through the last five, six years with progressive, progressive success. You've done a lot of those trainings, but you absorbed a lot from your surroundings, from your own experience of just going out there and doing it, from the people who trained you, whether that was sitting alongside you, watching you do it and then critiquing how you've done it. Um, But one of the things that you say there is you paint a picture and I think you are a phenomenal storyteller love sitting and listening to you and anyone who knows me has seen me standing on stage in 99% of the stage deliveries that I do you're referenced in some way or another um, and I think you're really good at telling a, a story and painting a picture I think you've just given a, a really good example there because throughout the podcast we talk about all the different formats of selling you're reiterating everything that we kind of make a point of which is that we are always selling in some format or another But the example that you've just given, I think, is really good for those people who are doing one-on-one sales, for those people who right now, given the current climate, given that it's lockdown, have maybe gone back to telephone or Zoom sales, going back to marketing and branding themselves online in that capacity rather than an on-stage environment or in a group environment. And that painting of the picture is perfect. Taking from that as well, you mentioned features and benefits. And I think by given the, the real life scenario that you've done what you and I know is future pacing, you've shown that God forbid, if you know this piano, what a way to go by the way, this piano falls on you, Mr. Unlucky Client, that it's future pacing for people and showing them what can be 
the positive and the success, but also what the, the potential downsides could be so they can listen to this. You use all the different things that we've covered and any of my listeners will know that we've covered um, VACAD and disc profile and we've covered making your stories visual and you've just summed that up perfectly there. So the features and the benefits and then the relationships. And you touched upon this when you said you were in a retail environment, you kind of listened to what your clients wanted, but you'd also speak to people differently. Um, so if we then translate what you've already learned, what you've always done in a retail environment, in a sales environment of your pensions and life planning, how does that transfer into what you do now and what most people know you for, which is the on-stage um, delivery of sales, training and promotions? Well, it's interesting because some of it does translate, but in honesty, I've found some of it doesn't translate. You have to go a different way. Uh, so sitting with that couple with the VHS player, right, I can paint the picture. And at the relevant point, I would say to them, how do you feel about that? And the silence is key, right? because I'm trying to engage with them emotionally at that point, right? Um, which we do on stage, but we do it differently. Yeah. So, and I'm waiting for an answer, and they're clearly not happy about it. And then I can present them with a solution. I said, look, let me sort it out for you. You know, we take for a couple of quid a week. I mean, we can sort this out, right? So um, I just draw the sting of any objections. Now, how does that transfer to the stage, which is, I think, your question? Um, I think it's, it's skills that I didn't have and I've, I've added to my skills as a salesman. I am not a hard seller, right? I'm really not. Um, because I only want you to buy, not you, Tony, but I only want people to buy if it's a good solution for their problem. So we've got to expose the problem, present the solution, uh, build trust in the fact that the solution is real and it exists. Yeah. So I am meticulously careful about any claim that I make, right? And my claims aren't as big as some other claims that I hear out there, right? Um, but they're pretty, pretty big claims. I mean, you know, deal packaging, right? I have, hand on heart, packaged over a period of time more than 250 deals now, right? Um, is that not enough, you know, <laughs> You need more. Does it have to be 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 or whatever? You know, um, sort of maybe that's enough. And okay, my portfolio is such that there are millions of pounds in it, but that's really just because I've got old, right? And it's gone up. It's not, it's not really done. I mean, that, I still own the building that we bought in 1977, right? It's gone up a bit. Okay, that's how it rolls. Um, but truth to tell, when I get out of bed in the morning, um, all of my material needs are covered from my property income. And that on stage gives me a confidence of standing there. So I'm not saying that I've got millions and millions and millions of pounds coming in, right? I don't believe I've ever said that. But, you know, the confidence that that gives you, and I'm married well as well, Tony, as you're well aware. <laughs> we all love Mrs. S. The present Mrs. S has buried her Halifax book in the garden somewhere. I don't know where it is. Um, so again, that the fact that I'm upright and perpendicular financially, I'm solvent. You know, I'm not saying I'm wealthy, but 
man of modest needs, you know. That, I believe, gives me a credibility because it, it oozes out, you know. Actually, I don't need you to, to buy my training course for me to pay my bills at the end of the month. You, you need me to help you with your training course because why shouldn't you get to the point where you get out of bed in the morning have all your material needs covered from property right that's that's my take on it and if someone wants to buy that's cool and if someone doesn't want to buy that's cool as far as i'm concerned okay and for me that is the most efficient way of plying my craft if i can put it that way there is so much in there I write notes down whenever I'm interviewing anyone because I think you can say the smallest thing, but it has a massive meaning to other people, especially if you've got, you know, we have a lot of property people who listen to the podcast because that's the background that I come from. So you will have deal packages who are looking and feeling like they're not confident in selling their deals. You'll have public speakers, presenters, you'll have people who are using any format of sales who've maybe not got decades worth of experience or phenomenal results and therefore have that fear. So I think there's loads that we can pull out of there. Um, Getting out of your own way, the fact that you don't have to have this massive business and you are really humble, you're really modest, but that forms a big part of your brand. And I think that's something that I really want to jump on. I'm going to kind of take out, are you all right with me going into lots of little offshoots of each part? Oh, please, because yeah, we didn't know where this conversation was going to go. We genuinely didn't when we, no. just before um, we were sort of live with it. Uh, and the other thing I'd like to touch on, if we've got time, Tony, is and it's kind of back one-to-one again, actually in my deal packaging business, dealing with investors, right? Because um, that I find is a bit of a hybrid of what I did, what I learned on my own, going through retail and then as a insurance salesman. Um, and then now as a stage seller, right? There's a, there's a, there's a sort of, there are elements of both that, that I use with my investors. That use is the wrong word. Deploy. Yeah, well, it's sort of become me. Yeah. In fact, I was talking to an investor, a lovely couple who spent the morning with me and I um you know an hour or two in I'd shown them a couple of projects and I'd said something like you know at the end of the day we're having a nice morning um if you it's not the right time for you it's not the right time for you but you know I would I would never try and sell you a house and they said David you've been selling us houses since we arrived this morning and I didn't get it until I thought about it that it actually runs all of the way through you that you are a salesperson but I think that's testament to the fact that you are just you and this is something I've touched upon in previous episodes which is about you don't have to be uh, you know carbon copy of someone else you don't have to be a particular type of person that your brand is such that it's conversational you'll solve a person's problem and there's so many things that you said over those last two statements which is about the confidence and it was all, it's all about the client. I don't need you to buy my product or service. I'm going to help you and save you. And I think that's something that I've reiterated through every part of the training. And I love the fact that you as, you know, doing this for real in the big wide world, are reiterating that too, that one sale to you of a product, a service, a training course, a package deal, one sale is not going to massively impact your life. But that one sale, whether it be that you're giving someone information 
in a, a training or educational capacity, whether you're selling someone a deal that's going to give them the cash flow to pay for the TV when, God forbid, something happens to Mr. Client later down the line, that it doesn't make a massive difference to you, but it can mean the world to other people. And yeah. I think the fact that you said, I'm not selling you anything, and a couple have said, oh, you have been since you walked in, that shows the elegance of the way in which you sell, that you're representing an opportunity, you're saying it, and you can honestly hand on heart say, I've got the confidence. There were um, two words that you used there, which were confidence and credibility. That your credibility speaks volumes, the fact that you know, you're not saying I've done 250 million deals because isn't 250 deals enough? Well, absolutely more than enough, especially to those people who are just looking to get their first one. If anything, the fact that you are so modest in the way that you deliver train, whether that's one-on-one or whether that's from a stage capacity, because you are very modest and you're very successful in your deal packaging business and in your life in general. And you're, you're natural, you're kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Your, your default is humour, is to maybe use a little bit of self-depreciating humour and to kind of push it away. But I think that draws people to you all the more. And I think, you know, you're selling, when you're saying people will buy, it doesn't make a great difference to you, but it made to them. I think anyone, we've talked about sales through many different previous episodes of the podcast, is if you are desperate to sell a product, your clients will know that. And that's when you're selling for you and not for them. So um, you you then touched upon the one-to-one with investors. Would you say you still use the same capacity of speaking differently to each of your types of investors? Because I know there's quite a few different different types yes. of investors that you work with. Tell yes. And, and you get a slightly different relationship with... Um, with everyone. So um, this is... I didn't realise we were going to get into this sort of stuff. So I... Since I've been adult and aware of this stuff, I don't know if you relate to this. I don't often have this conversation with anyone. Right. I am different with different people on a one-to-one basis. So I'm different one-to-one with you, Tony, than I am one-to-one with Kevin McDonald or that I am with Anne Holton, right? I'm a different person. They see different bits of me, I believe, right? And the one time that I tried to... um, you know, say this out loud in a room full of my peers, I was, I was kind of pushed away on it. Oh, no, I'm not, I, you know, this is what I got. Oh, no, I'm me, I'm the same, I'm always the same, right? But I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of different. And if I was having this conversation on a podcast episode with the same topic but with somebody else, I'd probably finish up saying different things, Tony, right? But yeah. you, you're squeezing stuff out. So with investors... I think you've got to be who they need you to be. And that makes me sound manipulative, but I'm far from that. They, they need – why are they there? Why would they come to Peterborough, which is where I'm based now, to spend half a day with me looking at projects, right? Uh, why would they do that? Because we're all busy people. Everyone's busy. So they're going to drive across the country, spend half a day – have a look at what we're doing, drive back again. We're going to talk. I tell them before they come, I will not sell you a house, right? Because the unspoken part of that day is they think they're having a look at me and what I'm up to, right? But actually, I'm having a look at them as well. Do I really want to work with these people, Mm -hmm. right? And there are people that I've just 
um, at the end, I've been very polite and we've made all the right noises and waved goodbye as they've left down the A1 or whichever way they're going. And I've known that that is not somebody I want to work with. And I'm in the luxury of the position or maybe it's the right call for anyone in any position to be able to say, I want to work with you, I don't want to work with you. I absolutely love that. And I think you mentioned the phrase, you know, I need to be the person I need to be for that person. So if I'm selling to one person or if I'm speaking to one person and you use the analogy of speaking one way to me being one version of you, and I think that's the importance is that you said it may sound manipulative. Um, one of the big things that one of the most common comments I get, which I really like, is that you're the same on and off stage. But I would definitely agree with you. Yes, I am the same Tony who's on stage, who's the same Tony who's off stage. You know, the, the, my being, the things that I'm aiming to do are all the same. But I would agree with you that we have different facets and each person, client, family member, friend will need to see different facets of you. But you use the example of the for the benefit for them. Because if you're the David, so you're the same person all the way through, your integrity is the same, your intentions are the same, all of those, like everything that is you is still there. But the version of you, and if you use the analogy of the way that you speak to a child versus the way that you'd speak to another adult, the same message can be given, but in two different ways. And it's got to be fit for purpose. And I absolutely love that you say that because you move into then, you know, your client avatar. And I think everyone who is listening can learn that from you is that when you go into a meeting, a sale, a pitch, a presentation, a job interview, whatever format it is, that that the version that people get of you has got to be the right one, both for you and them. And I love the fact that you've hit the nail on the head where our clients, everyone who's listening to this podcast needs to know it is not to take a client, whether that be an investor in the analogy you're given or whether that be, you know, a client that they're selling a product or a service to, who is going to be a drain on you, who is going to make you be a different version of yourself. Absolutely love that. And we talk about your client, your ideal avatar and the fact that actually someone, sometimes the best thing that you can do is say no and not sell a product or service to someone. It links back to the credibility, to the confidence, and you will start to despise your vision job, whatever you want to call it, your career, if you are doing something which you don't feel comfortable with. I absolutely love that. And I love the angle that this um, podcast has taken because as you say, we didn't know where it was going to go. We knew we were looking because you cover all three aspects of what I cover in this podcast around presenting, pitching and public speaking. And I love the fact that we've got all three of them tied in there. So I'm going to ask you to, to, if it's all right with you, if we're right for time, is the one word I've written down there is that you've said why because you use the word, you don't want people to think that um, you're being manipulative. You've got to be the person that they need to be because you are the problem solver, whether that be you're selling a product to someone because they've got, you know, no life insurance and they need it. So how do you then identify if the individual doesn't willingly come forward? Because a lot of people who come to our events, we focus on saying, what's your reason? Why? What's the deep-rooted reason for this? How do, you, how do you get that out of your clients, potential clients, the people that you're pitching or presenting to, if they don't themselves know it or, or openly share it? Yeah, absolutely vital. So again, one-to-one, it's, it's easier because you can prod and sort of um, search. I nearly said poke, but I'll stop myself. <laughs> you can prod. Yeah, you can prod. <laughs> Um, 
yeah, you can you can dig, right? Um, you know, why? Why have they come and done a six hours round trip to spend half a day with me, right? What what are the issues? What are they worried about? What are the concerns? You get, I would draw those out a bit like, you know, the woman with, without the TV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on the stage, it's more difficult. So on the stage, um, you want people to see... Do you know, it's I, it actually, I was going to say it's different, but it's the same, but it's, it's slightly different. Okay, let me let, let me tell you where the crossover is. <laughs> okay, so we, you and I speak at events uh, where people come for three days, right? Yeah. Three days of their lives, right? Um, why? Why would they give up three days of their life, right? So I think back to when I went, and um, what was I looking for? I don't know. So it was January. So it just saved on the heating for three days at home, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, what I was looking for something. So they're looking for something, and they might not know what they're looking for. But if I explain what it is that I can offer them and give them comfort that it's achievable, but they've got to meet me halfway, Tony. I can't do it for them, right? I mean, that's life, Okay. So if I can explain that to them and they see that I've got a track record and they see that I'm credible and I'll build an element of trust, even though it's one way, right, because they haven't communicated with me, they're just sitting there listening, then they have the choice whether to work with me or not, whether to give it a try. And I am very comfortable, two or three things at that point, for anyone that wants to join me. First of all, I believe in the product. Secondly, I know the amount of work that we put into the product to make sure it will serve them. Uh, Thirdly, that I know it's achievable for them because you don't have to have the skills of a Formula One racing driver to drive the car. You, You know, we're talking about elementary driving test stuff, right? So they can do it. Right, and I know that if they meet me halfway and commit, then they will be successful. So again, that gives me the confidence. So I know they're in for a reason. Now generally, generally everyone who's in that room knows this is a property event, knows this is about wealth creation, knows this is about money, right? And I suspect it's because they want a different income stream or they want to replace their current income stream, right? And my utter belief that what we teach allows them to do it, so long as they meet us halfway, right? Um, I, with complete volition, will present that solution to them. I, I have no doubt in my mind of the value of what we offer, Tony. And that has to come through. So it's without that belief, and that's why, I mean, you know, get down to brass tacks here that is why i'm happy to stand on the stage representing progressive property Mm. because i know what goes on behind as you do you know i know about the 70 80 young people the team that that make that place tick i understand the principles and ethics of rob moore and mark homer Uh, i'm not saying stuff doesn't go wrong from time to time with individual people but they try and fix it right Uh, there are other organizations in the space in which i operate that i would not represent right uh so it's come to me late the opportunity to do what i'm doing and stage selling is different from one-to-one 
selling. It is a bit stressful. I think it's stressful if you want to revert to that later on. I do find it more stressful than talking one-to-one with people. Maybe that's just me because other people find talking one-to-one stressful. So maybe it's about me. Uh, But because I know how credible we are now, really is enough people have made it work for me to have every faith in it, makes it so much easier for me. And you make it look easy. And I think that's, again, something that the listeners can need to take into consideration is that some people can watch you stand on a stage and deliver and say, oh, but David's always been in retail. He's from a sales background. It's easy for him. And I think having been the person in the audience when I've seen speakers just like you, just like Rob Moore standing on a stage, I've been guilty of thinking that, well, it's easy for them because. And we can easily downplay, you know, their misgivings, failures, mistakes, their stress levels and, you know, put ourselves there. But the things that I've p- pulled out there again in their right notes as I'm going along is that you are providing a solution before people even necessarily know what their problem is. You say that people need to meet you halfway and nine times out of 10 that is that they have, you know, given up three days of their time to invest it, to sit there and to listen to what you've got to say. And nobody does that just on a whim because they fancy just, you know, driving three, four hours somewhere to spend three days in the presence of people that they don't know. So they've met you there. But I love the fact that you've then said one-on-one, it's actually, it's a lot simpler to dig, to delve, to question, to find out the issues, the reasons why, their fears, their concerns, and be able to allay them and give them a solution. That's much harder to do in a group environment. And you do, you do make it look easy. You can speak to a group of people and you can incorporate everybody in that in the things that you say. But one word that you've said repeatedly throughout there is belief. And I think that's belief in yourself. So knowing that you've got a solution to the problem, belief in the product, the service, or whatever it is that you're offering. And it's sometimes hard. So our listeners might think, well, it's difficult to have that if I've never got, if I've got no proven results for it as yet. And again, in previous episodes, and I'll touch upon this in later ones, is how you can build your belief in the product or service through the market testing, through giving samples, through you um, trialing and testing it. But something that I've touched upon in a previous episode, and I think you've just completely personified it is an ABC of anything to do with presenting and we call it authenticity, belief and congruence. And I think everything that you've just said in that response is summed up in there. Authenticity that you are just you. People might see different facets of you or a different version of you, but that's for their benefit. Belief that you've got belief, credibility in yourself, your product, your service, the way that you speak about progressive and progressive success that even though, you know, mistakes will happen, whether it's you or them, we're all guilty of making mistakes. The fact that we'll try and resolve that problem and the congruence being that you are just you throughout your selling a product or service because you know it can help people. Absolutely love that. But I am going to jump on the point that you made, which is you said stressful talking in groups. So some people listening might be thinking the exact opposite. You know, one-to-one is the fear of, uh, is a bigger fear than standing in front of a group, but other people will relate to that. So tell us a little bit about the fear or the, the stress that you feel when talking to groups. Yeah, so somebody said to me very recently, and I've had this question a lot, do you still get nervous? Um, I do. I get nervous every single time, but I think it's part of the process. I think if you're not nervous about it, there's something wrong. Right, because you want to a you want to get a great result. Let's not you know hide that. Yeah. Uh, B you want to serve the people in the room. C you want to serve your colleagues and people you're working with because you know the amount of effort 
is taken to fill that room, right? I feel the weight of responsibility. Um, I, I recently, somebody sent me, because uh, I was looking for something, somebody sent me a tape of me doing my deal packaging talk back in 2015. Right? So oh. I was, yeah, sort of at the beginning of the journey. And I was quite interested in how different it was. I mean, there were, it was recognisably me, and you will understand the structure because it was very structure-driven then, maybe not so much now. Mm -hmm. But the first five minutes, there was that little tremble in my voice, right? So as I'm standing for almost the first time in front of 100 people on the stage. However, there was something quite endearing about it, not putting off. And I carried the room, the room I could hear wanted to laugh at the jokes in the right place. They wanted to support me and help me. Now, I don't know consciously how that happens, okay? But they can see who you are and you can't conceal that. So whether I'm nervous, like in 2015 in front of 100 people or in 2019 in front of 1,200 people at the Intercontinental O2, right? Uh, which I did. Um, yeah, I was nervous before I went on that day, right? Um, it's the humanity of it. People understand and they, they pick up and they want to support you with it. So they're generally on your side. They want you to, they want you to do a good talk. We've also sat through rubbish talks, right? And we don't want to sit through a rubbish talk. So they want you to do a good talk, right? And then they'll consider, you know, your proposition, whatever it is, as you move through. Um, but those first few minutes, you know, when I had to tremble in my voice, actually sold me to the room because I'm one of them. I'm human, right? I couldn't duplicate it now because life's moved on. But, you know, you had me at hello. I kind of had them yeah. at hello, right? Um, so you can't stand on the stage and sell somebody something. I'm going to sell you this. Right? That's not how it rolls. You know, we can all see through that stuff. But people by people, I suppose, as well, to an extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, had, I've had people join my training because they think I'm generally a good egg. You know? They'd like to spend, yeah, they'd like to spend a day or two with me in a training room. But those people who are listening right now, you didn't see, I'm doing this on a Zoom call, so I can see David's face and it was that look of like, what, why would people want to do that? Yeah. Again, there's so much in there for anyone who is listening, um, especially because anyone who's seen you speak on stage, who's seen you deliver, you never come across as someone who's nervous. You come across as confident, as poised. You know what you're going to say, the man who's in the know. And I think that's really important that our listeners know that, yes, you still get nerves, that it's normal, so they're not different. And actually, the, if we take that one step further, that... You say, if you don't feel a nerve, then there's something wrong. I completely agree with that. And it's because you say, you care, you say, the minute you get on that stage and you are no longer nervous, you're no longer there for the audience delegates benefit, you're there for your own, is the day those results will change. And what yeah. I mean by results is whether that's your sales of your product or your service or just the reception of the room. That's why even way back when in 2015, you had them at hello because you've always followed that authenticity believability in you your product and your service and the congruence there's something else i want to touch upon which i've mentioned in previous episodes as well is that you talk about the support that people want you to succeed 
you know, anyone who's ever, who's listening to made a mistake, said the wrong thing, stumbled over their words. You've said we've all been in that room and every one of us have. We've all sat there in that room where someone's speech or presentation or sale isn't going to plan. Yes. I've had that. I think, um, yeah. What do you want me to say about that? Um, Are you still here? Well, I haven't, I haven't had it for a long time. Okay. There were, right. I have fought in my, um, it doesn't happen one-to-one, right. But speaking from a stage, there are faults in my process, faults in my, I have skills. So I know what they are, right. Do you want me to say what they are? Feel free if you want to. You don't have to. If this is a if this is a speaking um, sort of podcast, I think people can definitely uh, learn from it. Okay, I lose pace. Right when I mess up, I lose pace because I don't actually speak terribly quickly. Right, you know. I mean, Kevin McDonald, bless him. Right, it's like a machine gun going off. Right, <laughs> I need a couple of paracetamol whenever I hear him speak. Right, I don't speak like that. Um, so I can lose pace. The other thing is sometimes you'll talk, be very interested at your reaction to this. Sometimes you know you're talking inside out, but it, in parts it grows. You know, it just an extra sentence here, an extra sentence there, another sentence. You get a little diversion, suddenly you're 15 minutes over. Mm. And that's too long. You've had them and lost them, right? So those are my big faults. Right? I used to be bang on time, and this has sort of crept in. It's very frustrating over the years. Um, you know, um, If I go too far over, I've lost the room, because generally I've lost pace as well. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that I have to work on. Um, usually I, it's okay. You know, usually now I'm pretty workmanlike. It's, you know, I'm never going to have a, a bad, a bad... <laughs> Even the nerves thing, right? It's part of being congruent. It's part of being who you are, the person that you are. And, you know, people understand it. Oh, you were nervous at the beginning. I was worried for you, right? Yeah, you worry for me. I've got you then. Okay. The emotional question is there. Yes, absolutely. And people care. They want you to succeed because it makes them more comfortable if they're sat listening to you and you're delivering a good speech. So it's for yeah. your benefit, but also it's for theirs. Something else I want to hit upon there, which is that you still work at it. And I think that's something that people need to know because if you're listening to someone like yourself and you are very modest, you are a really good speaker, a really good salesperson, you make the room feel comfortable, which is why everyone's on your side. I think it's really important that those people who are listening who are maybe, um, well, everyone, I suppose, those people who are just starting out, knowing that it's something that needs to be worked at. It's not something that you were just born this phenomenal salesperson. You may have had elements in there in your personality, but you've worked on them. And especially for those people who've maybe been speakers, trainers, presenters, done sales of any format. So they think they've already got that skill and don't need to work at it or become complacent. I think it's really important that people can learn that from you, that someone who's been in sales for a long time but been presenting on stage for, you know, five, six years doesn't just get up there and do it, that you still get nervous and that you still work at it. I, I do work at it. Um, I work at different things now. I think that's the point. So you know, because we've had this conversation privately, I used to sit in the car because I'm, 
I would drive from Brighton to Peterborough, you would drive from Liverpool to Peterborough, right? It's For me, it's anything between three and 11 hours on one occasion. <laughs> um, in sitting in the car, I will put on um, audios of me speaking, right, and critique, or sitting in the car, I would deliver to myself out loud sections of my talk. I've done that for years. I continue to do it. I think it's changed a little bit now because I, I don't know if this is more advanced or, you know, you're the trainer with this. You can slap me down and say, go back to what you were doing, Dave, right? Um, so I used to follow the system meticulously because we are, we are taught a system, right? And I was slave to the system, and there was seven minutes for this bit, and five minutes for that bit, eight minutes for that bit, you know, meticulous at that point. And I did that forever. Now, the last 12 months or so, I've moved away from it a little bit. And we are taught that, you know, to change the system, you have to know the system first, right? And my talk has developed now. Have the results developed? Not sure. The jury's out. But I feel more congruent in 2020 just leaving the framework of the system behind a little bit. Hmm. Just a little bit. That's all right. I know you're fearful that I'm going to say, no, everyone's got to follow the system because that's what I teach. That's what we teach on ESD, on ES, on the Experts yes. Revolution, on the Academy. And yes. you're absolutely right, but you're also showcasing the, the timeline that we talk about, which is that at the end of a public speaking training, whether that is the five-day speaker revolution, whether it is, you know, that you've, you've done a one-day and then a webinar or, a, you know, a different variation of it, that competence comes first, then you have to master the system and you have more than mastered the system because after mastery of the system, which is you practicing, you repeating, you delivering repeatedly, that you then move into artistry. And I think that's where you're, you are, you've, as you say, you use the word, I was a slave to the system. I know how much effort, how much time you've spent crafting each of your individual speeches, how much you care. And it's not just that you care how it looks in the delivery, you care what end result your clients, your delegates, your mentees will get. And I think as much as we'll say, be strict with the system, once you've mastered it, You've become competent, you've moved to mastery, you're now at a level of artistry. So my question then off the back of that is, if we're now at this level of artistry where you've crafted your speeches, you've got great results, you've got God knows how many um, successful investors, successful mentees as a result of what you've done, what's next for you in presenting, pitching and public speaking? Wow, that's a big question. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so I'm still grateful to get the next email. You know, uh, I always think, you know, they're going to they're gonna suss me out one day and they're going to realise, right? Um, that's in the back of my head, okay? Because that's in the back of my head with everything I do. So um, <sighs> that's a really good question. You know, I recently had a conversation with Rob Moore and I said to him, um, you asked me a question when we were on boot camp. So you and I went to boot camp uh, this February, but I believe it was the previous boot camp. He asked me this question and he said to me, what's your vision, David? What's your vision? 
And I sort of waffled a few, you know, placatory things that I thought should be appropriate. And it was about a year later I said to him, Rob, you, we were away and you asked me that question one-to-one. And I haven't really got a vision. You know, I'm 65 years old, 66 next birthday. What vision should I have when I'm 65, 66 next birthday? I mean, if I was Rob's age or your age, Tony, very easy to have a vision, okay? You've got a whole career in front of you, right? Um, I have to be realistic about this. I'm not going to be standing on stage at the O2, you know, when I'm 75. You know, it's, it's just nobody's doing it. Nobody is, nobody's doing it at 65, right? doesn't mean that you can't. Exactly. You've just said no one's doing it at 65. And then this is really insightful for our listeners. Okay. I'm going to obviously finish that section, but I just want to jump in there because you went, well, no one's doing it. But then you answered your own question and said no one was doing it at 65 and you've just proven that it can be and it will be done and done really, really well. Okay. Well, um, I haven't got an answer to that question. It's unusual to hear a podcast interview um, and an interviewee ask the question and the interviewee to say, I haven't got an answer to that. Do you know, I wake up every morning, I'm in pretty good health. All of my bits and pieces are working. I take no medication on a daily basis. Um, you know, it's a blessing. Do you know what, Tony, it is, what I do is a blessing right uh to be able to share what i share um and we are paid for it right i'm not going to hide from that i think fair exchange is a uh very important part of what we do right but to have the opportunity to 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 present to so many people to to build those relationships with a proportion of them to see them fly to help them with this when they stumble um, and be paid well for doing it. It's an absolute blessing. I mean, it's an honour for me to be able to do this stuff. And you know me well enough to know that that comes from the heart, right? So what gets me out of bed in the morning, that is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And the other thing about being on stage, if I'm being brutally honest, right, Mrs. S has been telling me this for 40 years, right? When I'm on stage, it's all about me, right? <laughs> It's all about me, right? Um, win, lose, or draw. Okay. And, um, yeah, I think there's an element of that. There's an element of me show, wanting to be a bit of a... It's not showing off. I've said showing off. That's not what it is. Uh, what is it, Tony? You're shaking your head. What is it? Shaking my head because I don't think... And, and, and I think anyone who's seen you speak knows that it's not you standing there showing off, this is me. Because you use the phrase, it's all about me. Yeah, everything that you've delivered, even through this podcast, has been something that we teach you focused because you're mm. focused on the end result for your client, for your investor, for your delegates, and how you can help them. Um, I would say it's about self-awareness, definitely, but also that you've got to enjoy it. That yeah. it's not you because it's something that you enjoy to do. You get paid handsomely for it. You get to yeah. help other people, and that makes you feel absolutely amazing as well. And that it's kind of permission for you to just be you and for you to, you know, if you are the kid who wanted to put on shows in front of your parents, it's like you've just been given permission and license to do it. So I think yeah. it's the ability to just kind of be you and have fun. Yes, there is a joyous aspect to it that maybe we don't talk about enough. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's great fun.
but it's I genuinely, genuinely think it's a blessing. At, you know, for me at my age in my situation to be given the opportunity to do it. I think that's a perfect way to sum up what we've talked about throughout the podcast so far. I'm going to ask you one final question because I ask this when I interview everybody, which is if you could give one top tip or one piece of advice for anyone in any aspect of sales, presentation, pitching or public speaking, what's the best piece of guidance or advice you could give our listeners right now? I would say the best bit of um, advice you could give anyone about speaking is to listen more than they speak. I think that's absolutely key. You've got to hear what generally people want, whatever it is that you're pitching, selling, speaking about. You've got a fair idea. If you're on the stage, you've got a fair idea of what they want to hear. And what if you ask them individually what you'd hear so you can respond to that one-to-one it's much easier because you can just ask them so i would ask them and listen i think that's the key i think that's an awesome piece of advice i have absolutely loved interviewing you anyone who knows both you and i knows that we've been friends for a long time we've been a part of the progressive community but we've never really sat down and had a conversation in this format and i think it took a completely different turn to what i expected it to but you mentioned earlier on value that it's valuable to your clients customers and i think this will be massive value to the listeners of the podcast so thank you hugely for being an interviewee and to everyone listening thank you for listening to this episode of presenting pitching and public speaking and where can people get hold of you get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what it is that you do in terms of your deal packaging business in terms of getting to know you as a person from your persona on stage yes okay so the best way if you if if you want to get to me is on facebook messenger that's sort of grown. That's where um, I look at all my messages generally between seven and eight o'clock in the morning, right? When I get up and I'll respond to most of them at that point. Um, <laughs> um, phone numbers, Tony, right? I remember when I was starting out, right? People who had gone before us saying, oh, I don't answer the phone anymore. And I would sit and think, what a knob. What a self-important knob, right? But, but over the years, you know, I've had a lot of people ring me up and now I don't answer my phone anymore. <laughs> you know, if you ring me, I know it's you, right? I'll answer the phone. Um, so it's not an efficient way to phone. So me- Facebook Messenger, contact me there. Um, you know, let's connect there and, and I'm happy to try and help. And where can they hear from you on a regular basis? Because you said at the start of this that it's usually the other way around. I've been privileged to be a guest being interviewed on your podcast. So you two have your own podcast. Give it a little promotion. Yeah, a little promotion. Property Sourcing Profits. Anyone out there sourcing properties for profit, you should be a subscriber on my podcast. I'm approaching my 100th episode. How many many have you done? Uh, 50. Uh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm approaching my 100th episode. That's coming up soon. Um, I get a lot of feedback for it. Have a listen. It's absolutely free. You can download it wherever good quality podcasts are available. So that's how you can get in touch with David Siegler. 
get him on Facebook Messenger, listen to his podcast, and we'll make sure that we attach the details to the end of this episode. So on behalf of me and of everybody else who's going to listen to this, thank you so much for your time. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. My pleasure. Love you, Tony. Love you too.